0: We need you more today than yesterday, God. We love you, Lord. Thank you, thank you, thank you for loving us so well. Amen. Amen, amen. Thank you, Lord. so good. Thank you, Lord. Hey, can we thank the band for leading us in his presence? These guys came early and are going to leave late, and they serve us. And they love us, and I'm so grateful. Thank you, guys, very much. All right. Did you know it's Sunday night? Do you guys know that? Isn't that funny? It feels off. It feels like Saturday night. Um, it's fun though. Um, hey, let's do this real quick. Uh, so some people were out playing kickball, and some people were in here. So if you were not, in, or if you were in here, you actually—it sounded like—and I saw you had a great time. You missed something that I want to try to reenact, sort of. This is like if it's the ESPN highlights of the young adults in career, this would be the moment. Mac, you know what I'm talking about, don't you? Come here, Mac. Come here, come here, come here. Come here, Thomas. So here's, here's the deal kickball. <laughs> if you know Mac, she's sweet, she's wonderful, she's com- super compassionate and wise. True statements, because I know you well. And she loves to compete. And I love that about you. I mean, hence the worm on the floor earlier. That was incredible. Was really so that was no, no, no. It wasn't bad. Hold on. This is amazing. So Thomas, the tall tree, he's the tallest man in this group, right? I think. Are you more than me? Uh, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. No, I don't think so anymore. <laughs> Just kidding. Um, so he's on first base. Max rearing up, crushes the ball. I don't even know where it went. And someone catches the ball and throws it to first base. And Max like running down first baseline, and Thomas is catching the ball, and here comes Matt, you guys don't have to do it. it was, are you embarrassed? Don't be embarrassed. Can't, it was awesome. I can reenact. No, don't reenact it. Reenact. reenact it. You can't reenact it. Okay, so she's running down the base her, and her focus is, I gotta get there. And Thomas' focus is, I'm gonna catch the ball. This is a man of gentleness. If you don't, Thomas is awesome. If you don't know him, he's incredible really man of God here I'm serious and he's gentle you wouldn't know that unless you stop and say let's have a conversation he's awesome and he wouldn't hurt anything or anyone but this is the tall tree and here's Mac running and there's Thomas catching them all and you, you don't have to do it don't do it do, 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 do. okay you guys can sit down but can you Matt this there was a collision that was impressive and it knocked, she knocked him out, no joke. He catches the ball. She's like first base and she hits him and he goes back three steps and there goes the ball and he's on the ground. It was unbelievable, it was amazing. so much fun. Sarah Harkey, MVP. Oh Sarah Harkey, unbelievable. Outfielder, catches all day long. It was awesome. And Aiden? Yes, 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 Dana, impressive. Aiden, you that one catch at the end, man. That covered over all the non-catches before that. It it was amazing. (laughs) Sorry, I'm just just kidding. Just, yeah, okay. I got the mic so you can't respond. (laughs) Uh, Anyways, it was fun. Duncan, I I was like, this man has fingers that are like um, a gecko. The ball comes, he's like, and there's the ball. It was incredible. Over the head catches, off the side catches. It was fun. So, so much fun. So much fun. Um, and what were your guys' name again? The skit earlier? I didn't catch your names. But Kevin and Christian, thank you for making us laugh. Leslie. I, mean, I don't know why I named it Leslie Wilde. I, I thought it was a weird L.A. cool. It is. Character. Leslie Wilde. That's good. Anyways, fun, 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 fun time. Um, hey, we and Jenny bring the word earlier. Hey, let me say this too. Just a, two things real quick so you know about my heart. Um, I actually don't believe in a corporate setting that when someone, like, I'm here to bring the word, that this is actually like the meat. The meat is when we get fed when our heart turns towards Jesus. And that can happen in the first beat of the first song. I just get to play a part, okay? So a couple people came up to me, which I'm so okay with, it's totally fine, a couple people came up and they're like, man, thanks for that word last night, that was awesome. I was like, great, what'd God say? And a couple people were like, well, it wasn't really what you said, but it was what God said that didn't really have to do with what you were saying. And I was like, great. So just so you know, like, I'm okay to say only the amount of words I need to get us to a place where we all meet with Jesus. And I really don't, I'm, I'm you know, I'm in this place because God put me here, but I want us to meet Jesus. And I hope if you've known us long enough and just even here in Jennyshire share her heart more, our chief desire is that each one of us has a deep, intimate, um, unshakable relationship with Jesus. So in those really, really hard, dark seasons, we have a light that carries us through them. In those seasons where things are great, we're so in love with Him that we're not trying to grasp for other things. Because sometimes in our life, when things are hard, we're desperate for Him, but when things are okay, that desperation disappears. It's not because we're any less in need of Him, it's because we're human. And we, start, we can start reaching for places of comfort and distraction. So my desire is that we leave here and we go, he met with me. And he's incredible. And wherever you're at with your own walk with God, meaning like meeting with him every day and abiding throughout the day, my hope is that this weekend gets us another step closer to him so we trust him and he can say whatever he wants. And we say, yes, sir. I'm with you as long as you're with me. Okay, is that good? Okay. Um, hey, one thing, we've had some people taking pictures of the fun and I did not record Consolvo. Salvo. Did anyone record that? Oh, you did, Valerie. Of course she did. Thank you. Thank you. Woo! Of course. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. So here's what I would love, and I have no clue how to do this. There's pictures that have been taken or videos or whatever. Is there anyone that knows how to like all that together and make something kind of fun? Stone can do that? Okay, Stone's got it. So is everyone a part of the WhatsApp group for the young adult community? No, young adult and yak? No, yes. Come talk to Stone if you're not a part of it. Well, there's no Wi-Fi. We can't hook you up. Okay, but some people are. Talk to your life group. That would be a place that Stone will drop his email and then you can send all your stuff to him and he'll build something awesome. And so the next abide, uh, the first, first Friday of October... We'll go live. Is that good? Great. Okay. It'll be fun. Because I'm like, how do we capture what's happened here? The fun times and also what God's doing. Scavenger hunt was awesome. So much fun. Yeah, that's true. We got a lot of photos from that. Okay. So everyone, can I have your agreement? Yeah. Is once Stone drops his email, if you get any instructions of how to get all the, if you could send the pictures, probably not on the big big group chat, but then you can get all the stone and he can kind of pilfer through it. That'd be awesome. Um, okay, that's great. Thank you, Stone. Hey, tomorrow morning, um, it's going to be a little more low-key. I know this has been a full weekend, and, uh, but I want us to get together as I just set out there, 9 to 10, and have a little bit of worship. And then there's just one simple thing I wanted to bring to us that would just take a couple minutes in the Word, and then I want, there's this activity I want us all to do, because I want us to be able to capture something God did here. Because if you're like me, you get in your car and you start driving home and you're like, life, the real life is down that mountain (laughs) and into the valley, okay? But if we can actually stop and go, this is one thing God spoke. This is one thing he did. This is something about his identity I need to know. There's something. So I'm just bringing that to us so you can give some thought and ask in the Lord now and, you know, the next little bit of time handful of hours, just to start reflecting and saying, God, what is it I learned? What did you want to teach me? What is something about you? Something like that, okay? All right. Um, Today, tonight, we're going to actually go, um, we're going to actually turn a corner here and talk more about how do we hold, take a hold of what God's doing in our life. We're going to look at the book of Nehemiah, okay? Nehemiah is awesome. If you're looking for a great book to read, actually, slow enough for God to teach you, it's an incredible book, there's a, it's, it's a historically based book that there's so much implication about who we are in our walk with God that is incredible and transformative. So, if you're looking for something to wake you up and you walk with Jesus, start reading through Nehemiah slow enough to digest it and let God speak. It'll change your life. It's rich. Um, before we do that, though, let me tell you another little story. Uh, so, I was um, growing up, I was a kid that loved life, enjoyed having fun. It was maybe a little bit, what would be the right word? I was never malicious or hurtful to people. I didn't want to hurt anyone, but I loved to laugh. And so if there is a laughter to be had, even if it's at, whole, usually it was at other people's expenses, I'm in. Like it, Not like making fun of people, but just silly things, things that make funny. So I mixed that actually with growing up was a lot of this impulsivity. Like if I could, a, a dollar for every time mom would, my mom would go, Scott, think. It's got think, please, think, and I'd be like, oh yes, mom, and then I just, impulsive thoughts go off the, the deep end. So, um, I love fireworks. I don't know how many people know that in this room. I absolutely love, like, all of my life, I've loved fireworks, even into adulthood. Like, one of my favorite memories, when we were, we lived in Waco, and um, working, doing our life, doing job, before we moved overseas, and there was a 4th of July where the city had the big firework thing, and they coordinated with the, um, the, the symphony in town. And they had this cool stage. It was right on the river. And, and as like, you know how firework shows go? They're kind of different highs and lows. The symphony's playing along, and like they choreographed it, and it was unbelievable. So much fun. Um, Anyways, tell you lots of stories. Uh, I I love fireworks. They're mesmerizing to me, they're beautiful, so much fun. Uh, When I was a kid, so the impulsivity part, right? So here we go. Um, When I was a kid, so my dad left when I was 11, I said the other night, so this was probably age 12, so we actually lived in a pretty large house. Dad made some good money, and mom was a teacher. And this is before uh, we had to sell the house and move into a really small place, my brother and my mom, just because we couldn't afford the place anymore. Um, And uh, it's a large house, and there's two stories, and my brother and I's bedrooms are downstairs, and there's a bathroom across the hall. And um, I, I, to this day, have never asked my mom why she trusted me with this, okay? So every time our family would go on vacations, 4th of July, New Year's, whatever, we'd always live in Alaska. Most of our vacations were just hook up the camper, get a bunch of family friends, like not family, but like friends that were like family, and we'd just go camping for a week or two. So much fun. And inevitably, there's the firework stands, and we'll grab a, grab a handful. My dad would grab more than a handful. Mom and I would be like, come on, Dad, don't buy that much, you know? So we go, we do the fireworks and stuff like that, and we'd always have a little bit left over. Like, does anyone remember those little tanks? No, no. They roll about two feet and go, and it was done? Yeah. Does anyone remember those tanks? No. Okay, thank you. They were always so anticlimactic, but I always was so excited as a kid. Or the strip of fireworks that you light, and they're like, deal. Okay? So... Inevitably, we had you know small quantities of different fireworks that were left over, and my mom—I have no idea why she trusted me in this—but I had this bedside table next to my bed in my bedroom, and and I remember she let me at some point in life be the keeper of like the family fireworks, the leftovers. So I had a classic 1980s kind of rounded maple stained wood bedside table, two drawers, bottom of the drawer was like socks and undies kind of deal, and the top was. My organization of fireworks. So, so if you picture, like I can still see this in mind's eye, if you were to pull this out, you'd see like all the bottle rockets lined up neat and orderly. And then you might see next to them, and I remember on the top right there were like reams of fireworks. There, there are firecrackers, they were all attached, you know, that hadn't been exploded. There was like a tank, there were some smoke bombs in there. There was those, those fireworks that had the sticks, but go up in like color, right? and they're laying this way, and then the back right there is this jar with a metal lid, and um, my buddies and I had taken sparklers, and when you bend sparklers, all the stuff around it come off, and they're in the jar. I was storing them because (laughs) someone told us, and I tested It's true. um, Someone told us that you can take cotton and put that sparkler stuff in it, and then tighten the cotton around it, and put a wick in it, and then wrap it in duct tape, and now you got a bomb thing. It works. <laughs> Don't try this at home, folks. So I had this storage jar of that sparkler stuff and a metal lid, right? And so I remember this one day, this is in Alaska, it was winter, so it was snow, it was cold outside. Brother and I were home. My brother's upstairs working on homework or something. Mom was a teacher, so she's at school still finishing up work. And I just remember as a kid, I, I, like 12 years old, I should have, been, should have known better, I know. I pulled out the drawer and I was just looking at them and remembering, I love fireworks. And I saw one of these little sparkler pieces that wasn't in the jar, it was in the drawer. And I was going to put it in the jar because that's where it goes. And then I realized, if I put this on the metal lid and I light it, split second, it would be amazing. Like tiny second, Right. And in my impulsive, let's have some fun kind of mind, I was like, that's a brilliant idea. <laughs> what could go wrong, right? So I ran upstairs and get the lighter, come back down, put that, why is it a tiny piece, guys? I'm telling, don't judge me. It was small, like there is nothing that could go wrong here, maybe. And I put it on there and it made sense to me in the second. And I, and I took my lighter and I lit it, and it's on the metal lid and it catches fire, beautiful, and then it jumps off the lid and onto the fireworks. And I'm like, and I hear this, shh, you know the fireworks wicks that are going and you're like, something good's about to happen. And I'm like shh, and I start hearing boom, 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 boom. And so I shut my drawer, I run across the hall, I grab a big cup of water, and I open the drawer and black smoke's billowing out. And I dump water in it, and I run back, I get more, and I do this three times before silence sets in. But all along, it's like, boom, 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 like, my house is going nuts. And black smoke has filled my room and into the hallway now. Black, black, bad black smoke. Yeah, so I averted burning my house down. But that poor dresser, actually it still lives today. My mom still has it. But she has like this potpourri bag in there still, because it still smells. Um, so I'm, I'm sitting there and the, and it's like, this is the most beautiful, serene silence I've felt in my entire life, because everything stopped, and I went, whew. And then I thought, oh, no, she's going to kill me. <laughs> what do I do? And I'm starting to think of my alibi already, right? And all of a sudden, my brother, two years older than me, his name is Todd. All grown up, he was my closest friend. He was awesome. He <laughs> walks to the door, so I was 12, he's 14. He walks to the door and he goes, what happened? And I said, fireworks are just this. And he goes, oh, mom's gonna kill you. And turns and walks away. (laughs) And I'm like, black smoke, you know, trauma, and brother's gone. And so I think what's logical is roll up the windows, it's all good, we're gonna get the smoke out, mom will never know, and then eventually when she's in a good mood, I'll explain what happened, but she'll never know. Open all the downstairs windows, so piles of snow outside, right? And I'm just, and I think I was like trying to fan it out of the window, you know. And my mom probably, I don't know, it's 10, 15 minutes later. She drives up the driveway from work, and she kind of comes up our hill driveway, and she sees the house, and she sees all the windows in the bottom open. And you know what her first thought was? What did Scott do? No joke. And I I remember like, Mom, come on, like think better. And she's like, No, Scott, you do things that get you in a lot of trouble. So true story. and don't try this at home, okay, great idea. Um, And I remember because I was at that age, so Kinley, our youngest, actually told me the other day, she was like, Dad, in class recently they told us, or at least the kids were talking, and said that boys of like high school age actually don't have brain cells. They (laughs) develop in their 20s. (laughs) Like, I think that's true, but I don't know, because I don't think I had brain cells, at least to make logical decisions. Um, So I was at that point in life where my mom, I bet she's on her knees going, God, let this be a new day for my son. We didn't burn down our house, but God, please help my son change. <laughs> so if we had more time, I'd tell you more of these stories. I actually have a lot of them. Um, no one like, lost their life, but it was a lot of fun and got in a lot of trouble. So there, was, there was, in that moment, I remember, I think my mom was like, God, let there be a new day, let my son change, okay? Um, so transition here to something a little more serious, right? Um, is in Isaiah's, in the book of Isaiah, there's a moment that that he writes this one, um, this one communication from the heart of God for the people of Israel. He's saying where God's heart is longing for them to see him for who he is and to come back and know him for who he really is and live a life surrendered so they're the happiest they can be, all right? So if you got your Bibles, can you turn to Isaiah 43? Isaiah 43, so again tonight, as you turn in there, Isaiah 43, again tonight where we're going is, is how do we let what God's doing in our lives remain, okay? And the first step is actually faith. The first step is actually, God, what do you see? That's how I choose to believe. This is Isaiah's communication of the heart of God, and I, and I know this was many years earlier, but I think it's still true today, if we'll accept it, okay? So verse 18. Forgetting the former things. Don't dwell on the past. God's speaking here. See, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Don't you perceive it. Let me read it one more time. The heart of God here. Forget the former things. Don't dwell on the past. See, I'm doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Don't you see it? Don't you perceive it? It's so often, <laughs> every day of our life, we wake up with us looking in the mirror in us in the morning. And with us also has our history. And with us also has shame. If we don't, as we make choices apart from God's best for us, we don't repent and then receive his forgiveness to live differently. So the heart of God here for us is, hey, I'm doing a new thing. Don't you see it? So I want to offer that to us in faith. I don't know what yesterday looked like or last week looked like or last year will look like for you but I just want to say it doesn't really matter when we look at the cross. There's work to be done of healing or like strengthening our weak places if we're falling into sin or the healing of relationships we need to repent, that kind of, but just the core basis of grace is let's go forward. Let's look ahead. Now, there is a, it's about 10 years ago, but it was this, this distortion about grace that I don't want to be misunderstood, the way it was, some people were communicated was, it, that it was called sloppy grace. And it's like, doesn't matter what I do, God's going to love me. He does still love us, period. And there are consequences for our choices. That's truth. And that doesn't mean bad you, bad me. That means, God, I want to live differently. Because sin keeps us from him. Shame keeps us from him. It's the masks, the goggles from last night. It's that stuff. It distorts our view of him, okay? But God's invitation to you and I, let's say on Wednesday, or let's say next Saturday, or let's say whenever the next, whenever it is which you look in the mirror and you go, oh, I wish I could change. I wish that relationship would change. Is bring us back to this truth. God's doing something new. Lord, I don't see it yet, would you help me see it? You see that? That's relationship. God, you're doing something new in me. What's going on? Because God's a God of redemption and transformation, right? God's a God of redemption and transformation. He's not a God that lives in the past and lives in shame. He's a God that says, let me liberate you so we can walk together and we can change the world together, okay? So Nehemiah is this very similar storyline here where where we find in history, um, do you actually, Duncan, do you have that? Do you have that timeline? Okay. Sorry. You can't. Can you read? You can't read that. No, not a chance. (laughs) Let's just be honest here. So just just real quick, pretend with me. The left-hand side of the timeline is creation. In the beginning, God. That's God. It started. And the far other side is the end of the Old Testament, and in between here is these major events along the way. The bottom part is the different books of the Bible that connect God's story together. His story of redemption, his story of transformation, his story of hope. So this is a story about the people of God. This is about the Hebrews Abraham and the promises of God and the covenant and anyways it's a longer than tonight story but it's incredible story and it brings us to this guy named Nehemiah actually Ezra and Nehemiah are kind of buddies and we'll see them in this story but they're on the far far right so around 445 BC is kind of what people guess all right you guys tracking history-wise where we land so what happens before so you see those two dots going lines going down the right with the dots that's where we are, the left-hand side of the, the longer one of those two. Before that, Israel had, had, was in the promised land and were just rejecting God over and over again. He's like, come close, come with me, I wanna teach you a better way. And they said, no, we're gonna go after our own passions, our sensualities, our own desires. We don't want you to lead us. And there comes a point, and God promised it actually to Moses a 1,000 years earlier to say, if, if my people continue to reject my ways, I will have to send them into exile, but don't worry, I'll be with them, and there'll be a day I bring them back. So we find right here in history where um, the, the, the the Israel kingdom had been destroyed, and the hub of Israel was Jerusalem. It was like the commerce hub. It was the worship hub. It was this massive city, walls all around, multiple different gates. People came there for worship four times a year. It was like the people of God were coming to worship and meet with him. That's where the temple was. That's where the Ark of the Covenant, which that was the presence of God was at the time. Everything was in Jerusalem, okay? So what happens here before Ezra Near, before the exile, is actually all of the nation was destroyed, and especially Jerusalem. All the, the walls were broken down. The houses were destroyed within it. All the protection in the home, the safety was gone, and most of the people were taken into exile to live a different way, a new king comes along, and these people are freed to start returning back to their homeland, but they find Jerusalem destroyed. Okay, so we track in here history-wise? You guys good? Yeah. Doing okay? Okay. Okay. A little bit of history. That's all. We're going to keep moving. Um, that's where we find right now where we're at. So Nehemiah, if, we, if Nehemiah 1 describes who, who uh, Nehemiah was, he was actually, he was a, Jew. He was an Israelite, but he was living in in exile still, and he was the cupbearer of the king. So he was a trusted man that brought the the wine, the drink to the king. He was safe that way, right? Someone comes to him, Nehemiah 1, and says, hey, the people are starting to return back to Jerusalem, but it's destroyed. There's no safety. There's no hope, but they're coming back trying to find hope, and it says that this, this reality impacted Nehemiah in such a way he started to weep, okay? And he wept and he wept because he longed for his people to be returned to the things of God. And he eventually goes to the king and he says, hey, is there any way I can actually go help my people rebuild the walls? And you guys experiencing this moment? Does that make sense, kind of where we're at? Okay, homeless, helpless, <laughs> bad situation. So this does apply to our lives, by the way. If you've never been homeless and you've never had your walls of your city destroyed, don't worry. You've probably had situations like me where life feels... Like, all the protections are gone. All the safety is removed. Who's in charge and who's taking care of me? You guys, we can relate a little bit with this moment. And God says, Nehemiah, I'm going to give you a supernatural compassion because you're the man of the hour. He goes back to Jerusalem. And he, it says he met with the leaders of that time. At that time, around there's 45, about 1,000 people living here, 45,000 people. He walks around the destroyed walls. And he comes to leaders and he goes, guys, we can do this. And all along before that, no one would do it. And he's like, we can do this. And they said, okay, let's do it. Let's do it. Let's do it. And so they tell the people, we're going to rebuild the walls because the walls have to be up. The gates have to be up to keep people safe. And now let's rebuild your home. So let's build the walls first. And it's a beautiful chapter two, three, four five, six, seven, somewhere all through there. It's beautiful where these people start to come together. So the carpenter and his family and the pastor and his family and this group of neighbors and all these people get together and say, I'll take this part of the wall. I'll take this city gate. I'm gonna, we're all gonna do this together. And the whole, bun- the whole wall and the gates were all restored in like 56 days, something like that. Crazy amount of time, like supernaturally fast. Okay, that's where we're gonna pick up the story is Nehemiah 8. So if you got your Bibles, let's turn there. So if you're looking for Nehemiah, find Psalms, go left. And you'll land right on Nehemiah. And what I wanna do here, (coughs) I'm sorry, Well, that was really (laughs) awkward. That was a cough, that wasn't my nose making awkward noises, that was a cough. I'm going to drink water next time instead of make that awkward noise. Um, so we're going to go through eight and part of nine. And there's seven principles here that I want us to look at. So basically, the Israelites lived out 30 days. To, they, they walked out different parts of responding to God for 30 days and to set up a lifestyle of victory. Another way of saying it is they lived out some of these principles in life in order to say, we're going to be different. So their goal was fulfilled, walls are up, we're good, and now let's get our hearts right with God. So what I want us to do is look through these seven principles because my guess is today, for each of us, there's probably at least one of these that are like, oh God, would you help me here? And what I wanna challenge us to do in our life groups is to potentially go through some of these. Just check in, in our discipleship groups, life groups, is where you at with one of these? Where do you need breakthrough? Let's pray. Let's contend together for it. Okay? So let me pass these out. Now, I know when someone's speaking and you pass something out, you start looking at it. So <laughs> we're going to go through it slowly. What I want to do is pass these out. Oh, I need someone. Here, help me. Yep. I didn't know. I should just throw it to you all. Um, yes, distribute them. So what I want to offer is, is these are for us together, to actually look at these principles together. We're going to read through each one. We're going to talk about it. And then feel free to take notes or star it or like, God, I want to go back here. I want, to, I want this to be your, your interaction with God about how do we establish and make a victorious life in the things he's doing in us. All right? Are we all on the right track? We're good? Besides having your paper. <clears throat> Okay, we're gonna breeze, we're gonna actually kind of catch different excerpts of eight and part of nine. And as we read them, you'll see them by number, and I wanna pause and just offer a few thoughts. And again, please take something from this. God, what are you doing in me? God, what do you wanna do differently? How do I live differently? Because if we'll walk these out, even for like the Israelites, they walked them out for 30 days, and then all of a sudden, and they started to actually live differently. Their, their, their job, their life, their, their goals were... Did everyone get one? Drew, you got one back there? Whew. Okay. When um, we find the Israelites having their goals met, but their heart was rent. God, I have to be different. Okay? So we're going to start here with um, uh, verse 5. You guys ready? Here we go. Ezra, who was kind of like the priest at the time, the pastor, opened the book... And all the people could see him because he was standing above them. And as he opened it, the people all stood. Ezra praised the Lord, the great God. And all the people lifted their hands and responded, amen, amen. And then they bowed down and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. The first thing I want us to see is what surrender really looks like. They heard the word of the Lord and they cried out, amen, amen. What does amen mean? Anyone know? I believe. I believe. Do it again, God. Is there any other? What is it? Let it be. Let it be. So they cried out, let it be. Got to believe again. God, do it again in us. Amen, amen. There's an initial, they heard the word of God, and their, their response is yes. Even before there was like, do this or don't do that, kind of, or those, it was like, yes, whatever's coming our way, God, do it in me. There's surrender, it's beautiful. And what happens next? What's the other, the other example of surrender? It says they raise their hands. So I just want to, a um, little bit of grace here. <laughs> living overseas for 14 years, we actually were really disconnected from like religious gargian, gar- jargon. jargon? Guardian. did I say jargon? I did. Grace. Thanks, thank you, made it. Religious jargon, like denominationalism kind of stuff, like you're the charismatics and you're the knots, And those, those words typically actually are, I'm the center and I judge you on my right and my left. Those words are actually not biblical. They're examples of how people connect with God. And I can't judge how someone connects with Him. And so the people that show up in more liturgical type expressions of worship are no less holy than us because we raise our hands. The, the more holy worship is not charismatic or liturgical or anywhere on the spectrum. It's, is my heart in love and on fire? Okay? So they raise their hands not because they were a a um, denominational expression, because they said, God, whatever you want, it's it's yours. God, I fully surrender to you. Does that make sense? So let it be that we aren't a people that are on this timeline of judgment, of expressions of worship. Let it be their hearts are like, I'm gonna love him with all I am. And sometimes your hands are raised high. Sometimes they're down low, that's no less holy. Sometimes we are on our face. And this is how they responded in surrender. Yes, Lord, let it be. Their hands are raised in surrender. And it said they fell on their faces. Okay, so for me, if, and I wouldn't, I love you guys, but I wouldn't invite you into my time with God in the mornings. But if you did come in, inevitably, most of the time, at some point, you'd find me on my face. Because I feel at my life, in my life right now, I feel more desperate than him than ever. I said that last night. I have things that I'm responsible for and things that's just things in my life and I'm at a point in my life where like God I can't do these without you I get on my face with him I get on my knees most of, most mornings and I'm like God I don't know what to do would you help me okay so this is an example for us of surrender it's not an example of denominationalism it's an example of surrender so we see the Israelites responding in a beautiful way Okay, uh, 9 through 11. Here you go. Then Nehemiah the governor and Ezra the priest and the teachers of the law and the Levites who were instructing the people said to them, this day is holy to the Lord your God. Don't mourn or weep for all the people had been weeping as they listened to the word of, of, the, the, word of the law. And Nehemiah said, this is verse 10, go and enjoy church food, sweet drinks and send, and send some to those who have nothing prepared. This day is holy to our God. Do not grieve, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. And the Levites calmed all the people and said, Be still, for this is a holy day. Don't grieve. I just would like to submit to us that repentance doesn't always mean I feel bad. What they're doing here is an example of repentance, but it's instead of looking at where I've fallen short, it's like, my past is my past. Lord, I trust you. The, what, is, what Nehemiah and Ezra and the Levites and these leaders are saying is like, hey, let's not grieve, let's celebrate him and his provision. Let's not feel bad about our choices. Yes, there's grief, there's repentance, it's holy and pure. So we're gonna get there in a moment, but I wanna catch this principle. Sometimes we get stuck in, God, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Can anyone relate? Yeah. Shouldn't have done that, shouldn't have done that, shouldn't have done that, God, I'm so sorry, okay. Um, And sometimes, actually, I've had God say this to me a number of times. God, I'm so sorry. God, I wish I wouldn't have. God, I'm so sorry. He actually, sometimes it says, Scott, I don't even know what you're talking about because I've forgiven you as far as east is from the west. My blood is enough to set you free. And he said, turn and follow me instead of stay in this place where you're just groveling because you just feel bad. Okay. Repentance is thorough. Don't get me wrong. There needs to be grief about our sin. But there has to be a point in return and say, it's a good day because you're good to me. Yes, Lord. The joy of the Lord is your strength. There's a place that unhealthy fleshly repentance is actually wearying to us because I'm repenting out of my own strength and I'm not receiving his forgiveness and turning and walking forward. So if in those places of grief and like God's doing something in me, if you don't start to feel strength rise up in you, and then joy, then we actually miss the full work of the cross. So another principle here I just wanna offer to us a victorious life is that sometimes we actually need to worship him. Like find the place of joy and stay there. When life is hard, stay there. Here's a principle he's been teaching me the last I don't know, six, eight months In times where I struggle, I have a hard time or make a bad choice or like I speak harshly to my girls or to Jenny or something like that that just breaks my heart, is that he's teaching me to actually repent for it and then actually start loving him. And I learned to fix my eyes on him, the author and perfecter of my faith, and I stopped fixing my eyes on my bad choice. And somehow the grip of the sin and the shame that wants to come on top of me is gone because my eyes are fixed on the king. You, okay? Are we track in here? Yeah. Okay? I'm not advocating sloppy repentance. I'm advocating loving our king because he's the one that did the work for us. Yeah. Okay? So the leader said, hey, stop grieving. The joy of the Lord is your strength. So in your walk with Jesus, If there are times where you're like, I just feel bummed out all the time when I come to him, or I feel like he's just got to to have something more for me to do. It's like this boss relationship. I want to offer this principle to you to say, how do we find joy? Because he is joy. In fact, scripture tells us in the presence of God is fullness of joy. And so if I don't experience joy, like not temporary happiness, but like everything's okay, even if everything's not okay. That settledness of soul scripturally tells me I'm actually not dwelling in his presence enough. I got to get into worship, okay? All right, keep going. The next principle we see here is they actually say, um, they said they talk about grief and joy, and then they say, hey, those of you who have more, go give to other people. If we're not living a life of generosity and obedience and our finances and our stuff, we actually won't live a victorious life. Okay? Let me say that again because it's important. If we're not living a life of trust in our finances, if we're more building up a storehouse in our checking account and never like, trusting God with our finances and like, is there anyone to give to? Am I tithing? Am I being faithful with my finances? Then we're going to miss a victorious life. Okay, If we had another, another day, we'd have a long conversation about finances and we would tell you we chose to live a life when we first got married of, of faith in our finances, and we have seen countless miracles of the vision of God. Taking care of normal bills. Okay, here, here's one for you. Here's one. Have I told you about the, when God gave the money about Colorado? You guys know that story? Yeah? No? I'll tell it again because it's fun. Um, we, were, we were really financially struggling. We were newly married, a lot of debt, bought this old house. It needed tons of work. We were struggling financially. And I had this one passing thought. It was a Sunday morning, spending time with the Lord before we went to church. And I was like, God, I'd love to go visit my brother in Colorado that's it we get to church there's this place where all the life group leaders could kind of have their like this box and this announcements and there's an envelope in there and it had my name on it and i opened it up and it was five 100 dollars bills and there's a note there and it said i was spending time with god today and i felt like he said to give you this money because he wants you to go to colorado i didn't tell jenny that i didn't tell anyone that prayer it was one passing prayer Okay, that's not a principle to get the stuff we really want. It, it's actually a life of generosity and obedience because if you saw our checkbook, if you saw how we live life, we actually live life not like we gotta take care of all of our debt and then we'll actually give. We actually said, Lord, is there any, we're committed to tithing and then God, is there anyone at need out there that we can help? And we would give out of need at times, but out of obedience. That's a principle of victorious life. If finances have a grip on us, if we're so afraid about storing up the next big checking account, don't get me wrong, we need to be stewards. I understand all that, okay? But are we willing to say, God, anything is yours and everything. I'll trust to you. Yeah. Principle for victorious life. They said if there's someone in need, give it away. Okay, we good? good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, here we go. Number four, uh, look at verse 12. So, they all gave them instructions. They said, Go, celebrate, feast, give away. And then look at verse 12. The, whoop, there we are. Then all the people went away to eat and drink, to, to send portions of food, and to celebrate with great joy, because they now understood the words that had been made known to them. So, this one may shake some of us, but I, j- I put it on here because it's a reason. God entrusted these people to lead those people, and they were imperfect people but God entrusted them to lead those people. And so they had, it was not outside of biblical bounds and they said, go celebrate and give and know what they did. They said, you got it, that's a great idea. And they just trusted their leaders. Some of us are living life where we, we are so self-protective and fearful about our leaders, probably because of how dad lived or previous coaches or bosses or whatever, ungodly examples. And I just wanna say, we, we, whoever's a leader or boss in our life they are just human, but God's entrusted them to something great, and that's lead me. And so, do I trust Christ in that person? Not a carte blanche, blank, I'll just do whatever you say, but it's also like deep inside, do I trust them to lead me, even if they're unbelievers? Do I trust Jesus to take care of me so I can do my best to respond to him through what they're saying? Okay? That's good. Yeah. Or... Do I sit in judgment and mistrust of my leaders? It's, it's good to, anyways, I don't need to, do I need to balance this? We okay? You guys okay? Okay, good. Do I need to, I, okay, do I need to balance it? Okay, so we can trust our leaders, period. I've had a lot of leaders in my life. I've told different stories about it. I've had leaders that they were super hard to follow. And I've had leaders that are like, oh, I feel so alive with this person leading me. And you know what? Everyone, all of them, I'm I'm commanded by God to pray for my leaders and to follow them. There are times where I have honest conversations and I go, I'm not sure I understand what you're saying. Can we talk about it? There like Adam Reeds, my boss. We've talked about this before. He's younger than me and da-da-da-da-da. And he is my boss. And I trust him. And he's a man of God, and he's not perfect. But God has commanded me to serve that man and the vision in his heart. And I get the blessing of God when I choose to serve him and to follow that man, not to cut up and parcel. Should I trust him? Should I not? Was this the right word? Was this not? He's younger than me. It doesn't matter. God's called me to pray for that man and his family and to serve him. And so Adam knows if he's like, if there's something he needs, I'm like, Adam, tell me, I want to be a yes to you. There are times when he asks me to do something and I'll come back and I'll go, can we talk about that? I don't know if I can do it. Can we talk about it? And I, and I always qualify, I go, but if you need me to, I'm in. Okay? I offer that to you. I promise it is a doorway to victory that few people learn because we follow Jesus as we follow our leaders. Okay? Okay. Thirteen, fourteen. On the second day of the month, the hand... The heads of all the families, along with the priests and the Levites, gathered around Ezra, the teacher, and to give attention to the word of the Lord or where the law. They found written in the law. They found sorry, slow down. My brain needs to slow down here. They found written in the law which the Lord had commanded through Moses that the Israelites were to live in temporary shelters during the festival of the seventh month. Okay, so real quick, history here. There was four festivals in the Israelites. Journey in life that God commanded them many, many, many years before. Four times a year, that it was essentially, "Hey, this is what I want you to do to worship me." And all the time, all four of those festivals were, "Come and celebrate, and don't forget what I've done, and look towards the future." So this is the seventh month. They had these people had not had the word of the Lord; they've not had the scripture in in them in a long time. And they start to read, and they go, "Oh, God, you commanded us in the seventh month to do this one festival." It's the seventh month. Let's do it. And that was it. And if, we, if you keep reading, they went out from there. They gathered these sticks. They made these huts. They did this deal. And they lived in responsiveness to God. Some of us need, if we're looking for breakthrough and, and the things of God to stick in us, we need to remember what he's called us to and ask the question, have I obeyed the last thing you called me to do? If the answer is no, God, I'm so sorry. Okay, you asked me to do this. Yes, sir. Please give me courage. Some of us need to remember what he's asked us to do. And of course, if we haven't repented, Lord, I'm so sorry. Help me. Help me obey. Guys, that is my prayer a lot of times when he asks me to do things hard. I was, Lord, help me. I can't do it on my own. So, a key principle here that I want us to remember is what has God called us to? Are you obeying faithfully? Because those who are faithful and little will be rulers over much. Principle of the kingdom. And so let's be faithful and obedient to what he's offered to us because tomorrow he's got something else. And obedience is about relationship, friendship, kingship. Obedience is not about yes, sir, rights, wrongs. It's about I love you and so I follow you. Okay? Here we go. Two more. You guys hang in there. Verse 18. Day after day, from the first day to the last, Ezra read the book of the law um, of God, and they celebrated the festival from the seventh day, or for the seventh day, and on the eighth day, in accordance with the regulations, there was an assembly. And, and we've, we've seen these tones all through chapter eight, but I, I highlighted this verse because they honored the word of God. If you want a life of obedience or a life of victory where transformation happens, and that doesn't mean that life around us is easy and everything's awesome, that means I am grounded and solid in Him. And so, whatever life brings me, I'm in love more. And my life is not about me. It's about other people. And so my victory becomes every other person's victory. If we live life in a lack of victory, right? I I did it. I didn't. I did it. I didn't. We never can get out of that pit and actually start helping people walk in wholeness and other people actually meet Jesus and be changed through discipleship and relationship. Okay. So important principle, we honor the word of God. We honor what he says. So that's the written word. That is also the prophetic word where people might come and submit something to us. And, and guys, again, they're human. I had someone there today that's, <laughs> he's not in this room with all this stuff. He actually said in college, someone came up and go, I just had this word for you. I think maybe from God. In fact, I think it is. God just says big toe. And then the person left. And he's left going, What? That doesn't mean that prophecy is bad. That doesn't mean that no one can hear the voice of God. That means that humans are humans. That means that everything we receive from people, we say, now, God, is this from you, and how do I respond? And we don't judge the person or their attempt at obeying him and hearing his voice. We just say, Lord, I trust you, okay? Probably, I, probably other people have those funny stories, too, but... Um, Okay? So when it says we're honor the word of the Lord, it's the Bible, it's walking with him, it's feasting on, like Jenny talked about this morning, but it's also that intuitive voice, Lord, I'm learning to hear your voice more, I'm learning to obey, what does peace of God feel like? What is, and it's also that word of the Lord that comes from the outside in. It's a Sunday morning when you show up and, and whoever's preaching that day, we actually show up and go, God, feed me. I'm not gonna critique the person, I'm gonna trust you to speak through them. God, feed me. The word of the Lord is is nourishment to me, so God, feed me. That's what Israel's learning to do, and that is a key principle to a victorious life. So we honor the word of the Lord and those that bring it to us. All right, last one. One through five. So it's a little bit longer, but I want us to just chew on it for a moment, okay? This is what we traditionally might think of as repentance. But remember, this is the end of the month. Like They are learning a victorious life. They're learning these principles and now they're gonna walk it out. But um, yeah, verse one. On the 24th day of the same month, the Israelites gathered together. So they, so pause. Victorious life. Don't forsake the gathering of the people of God. Be a part of life group, even when it's dull. (laughs) even when it's hard, even when someone offends you. Do the work in your heart so you come to life group saying, I have something to give tonight and I need something from you, okay? They gathered together, key part of repentance transformation. What were they doing? They were fasting, wearing sackcloth and putting dust in their heads. The fasting part makes sense. I'm not sure about dust on your head and stuff, but the picture's there, right? It's like, God, would you, whatever's inside of me, I just wanna know you more. And they're willing to, the sackcloth part and the ashes part is like, I don't care what anyone thinks. It's you and I, Jesus. I don't care what people think. They, they actually lived a life where like, I'm abandoning all the stuff that distracts me to know you. And it keeps going. Um, verse two, the, those of the Israelites' descent had separated themselves. So sometimes in times of repentance, like getting things right with God, you know what we need to do is actually separate ourselves, not from the people of God, not from his word, but from stuff that just distracts us or numbs us. Sometimes we need to say, God, what do I need to let go so I can take hold of you? Okay, and from all the foreigners. Next sentence, they stood in their places and confessed their sins and the sins of their ancestors. Isn't that interesting? They didn't just say, God, I'm so sorry. They actually looked over their shoulder and said, the previous generation was unfaithful to you. God, I'm sorry for their choices. And I'm sorry how they have influenced me until this day. So how we, one way we pray for our girls is I remember what my dad and my mom struggle with and they're human. But I also say, Lord, some of those things in their life, God, change us, shape us, rearrange us that our girls don't have the same struggles that our generations behind us have had. We take ownership of our stuff. We don't blame people. You notice that? They didn't go, oh, grandpa did this, and so I'm okay to just be a mess. They actually said, Lord, change me, and God, would you forgive what happened behind me, because I have to be a different person. There is no excuse for my choices besides, God, I walk forward. Everyone in this room has hard parts in life. Everyone in this room has things that we could probably label and go, that's trauma. And some of us, it's more than others. And I'm not minimizing any of it. I'm just saying, please don't let it be an excuse for us walking in victory. There are things we go through where it is trauma, where it is really destructive, where it really has messed up our life, and we need help. We need to meet with God. That's why therapy is important, too. There's a balance to all of that stuff. But there is seasons of life where I'm like, I need help. Whatever it's going to take, I'm going to get it. They understood this. That's that thorough repentance that they're walking through. All right, verse three. They stood where they were and read the book of the law from the Lord, or of the Lord, their God, uh, for a quarter of the day. (laughs) When's the last time that you and I read the Bible for a quarter of a day? Just just asking. Um, And then spent the other quarter in confession and worship, worshiping the Lord our God. Boy, there's a great principle. If we want to be changed, what if we spend half of the day in reading the word and then God, what do I need to repent for? And I'm just going to worship you. Try it. I'm serious. Try it. What if you were to go, Hey, put it on the calendar. I'm going to try this. I promise you'll come out the other side different because I've done it countless times in my life. I guarantee he'll meet with you. Their heart's hungry. He'll be there. Verse four Standing on the stairs of the Levites were, and then there's some people's names I don't want to try to pronounce, and they cried out with a loud voice to the Lord their God and the Levites, and there's some more names, and it said, stand up and praise the Lord your God who is from everlasting to everlasting. The last principle is important. Confessing sin and and receiving forgiveness is super important. That verse one through five, as we read, I picked out a few parts that are a beautiful example of what repentance looks like. And repentance turns us towards our king and says, your cross is enough. I will not take on shame. Deep breath. What I want to do is in this room, most of you are connected through life group. There's a few of you that aren't, so don't worry. Okay. If you're connected through life group, what I want to ask that you get with two other people somewhere in this room in a minute, and I want you to look through this list and say, this is where I need help now. And then the other two pray for you. Before you pray, say, Lord, is there anything you have for them? And then share what's come on your heart. Okay. so we're going to get up and move. Everyone's a little sleepy. Okay. find two other people in your life group. If you're not connected to the life group, who did you? Oh, sorry, two other people. So three in a group. Yeah, three total in a group. We're going to take about 10 minutes with this. So we need to move quick. Look at your list. Where is it you need help with? Pray for that person and then go around the room, go around the group. If you're not going to get to a life group, who did you come with? And just check in and go, hey, can I join your group? Or which would be the group to jump in? Okay.